Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six through 40. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And I'm Julie Henson. And this is Off Script, a podcast where we talk about the most recent sermon series, take a deeper dive on the theology behind it, discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor, and we are talking about our annual stewardship series, everybody's favorite topic. Am I Woo! right, Gilliland? I just I love it. Let's just do it every Sunday. Yeah. That's actually, this one, the way we do it, I think is good. I, I was about to say, I yeah. really enjoyed this yeah. series. You just need to get us. more comfortable. I'm just kidding. Hey, let's before we get into the stewardship stuff, when is your tree going up? Your Christmas tree? Probably oh here's the thing. We don't know if we can put our tree up this year. What? Because Morgan, our littlest, gets into he pulls on <sighs> everything. Oh dear. So And he's like a linebacker kid. Like yeah. He's huge. He's huge. So if we do, it's gonna be uh, <laughs> He could bring the whole thing down. He could for sure. <laughs> I mean, there's been multiple times in the last few weeks where Scott's like, should we put our tree up today just to uh-huh. like make okay. ourselves good. feel that's, good inside? That's and so, but um, I don't know. We're going to have to adapt. We may have to just put like soft ornaments on and not the full shebang. Okay. Well, like Get a, him his own tree. His that own won't tree. That won't help him. Oh, or a baby gate around it. That's what my, my uh, in-laws we have, did. We don't huh. have room for that. Oh, bless. I know. Huh. I thought about getting like a smaller one and putting it on top of our brown table. That he couldn't get to, like huh. at another smaller one. Yeah. I don't know. In replacement of an actual tree. Of, of our, yeah. Substitution. That's really depressing. Until he outgrows this phase. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be good next year, but this year, I don't know. It's a it's a hazard this year. Excellent. All right. You, oh, well, I saw your post. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, you're you know. Opi- you're opinionated about this. I do. Imp- and judgmental. Improperly. Ah. Yeah. I'm ju- I'll fight I'm, you on I'm this I'm judging one. your judgmentalism. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, when does, when does your tree go up? <laughs> um. Well, it'll probably be closer to Thanksgiving. I'll probably put the lights on the outside the house, like mid-November. And probably the Sunday, like rather maybe the weekend before Thanksgiving, tree goes up. Trees, wow. that's fine. Listen, you can celebrate the Incarnation any day. Oh, uh, totally fair. We're not talking about the Incarnation. Uh-huh. Specifically, no, 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 we're no, no. talking about no, no. the Christmas tree. Right, exactly, which is a symbol of the Incarnation. This well, yes, I mean, it's all a your... symbol of the Incarnation. <laughs> However, mine will not go up until after Thanksgiving, yeah. specifically the Friday after Thanksgiving. But you, then you don't get to enjoy it very long. I leave it up until Epiphany. Which is appropriate. That's yeah. still not long enough. You don't think so? No. I used to have a real tree. It used to mm-hmm. be like a go get a real tree and water it and keep it alive until mm-hmm. Epiphany. But that got difficult after we had a kid. So it sounds like we may have like a rolling like you may be the earliest in the Gillen house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll be right behind that, I mm-hmm. think, probably. And then Scrooge here will put her yeah. up sometimes. Scrooge will follow the rules. <laughs> 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 All right. Back to the money talk. Okay. Um, okay. I Actually, think it's a mission talk. It's a mission yeah, talk. It's a mission talk. Yeah. But I think I asked the same question last year, but we didn't have Julie. So I'm wondering who first taught you how to be generous? Or like, what was your first memory memory of witnessing someone be generous, or maybe the first time you 
had that change. You're like, oh, I want to be generous. Like any of those or all of those. I'm just curious. Yeah. So I talked about this on Sunday uh, in children's time. I brought um, some dollar bills with me and gave one to each of the kids um, the way that my mom used to do uh, during the offering every week. And so every week during the offering, she would give me a dollar bill to put in the offering plate. And I don't know why, but that always felt so special to me. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I got to be a part of mm-hmm. it. And so my mom was one of uh, the people who not only modeled that, but I mean, she brought the checkbook and every week it, you know, um, she, she's a woman of great discipline. And so I, I remember it first and foremost from her. Uh, what I laughingly said on Sunday though, was uh, when I became an adult and she wasn't around to hand me the dollar, it was <laughs> a lot more difficult to get the wallet or the dollar out of my wallet. Yeah. Where's mom? <laughs> yeah. If if my daughter sits with anyone at church, she always asks like Does them, she ask them for a dollar? Yes, she does. <laughs> Multiple people are like, Yeah, she like elbowed me like, Can you give me my dollar? I'm like, Sorry about that. So That's watch great. out. Watch out if my daughter sits with you. Just be ready. Yeah, just be ready. <laughs> um, I remember in college thinking through like, I wanna be uh put something in the offering plate every week and so like my my rule was like whatever cash i had in my wallet come sunday morning i gave it all away so some weeks i was like oh no i didn't spend any money this week i, I have to give all this away i talked about that on sunday too and clenched fists and, yeah. and that was like my first active okay i don't know how to budget yet mm-hmm. but whatever is in my wallet i'll put in there yeah. and then my birthday rolled around and I intentionally left my birthday money at yeah. home. So it was not in my wallet. <laughs> so I had a moment of confession on Sunday too, yeah. talking about that. But yeah, it was really hard. I was like, oh, I know it's supposed to be in my wallet, but I can't mm-hmm. do that this week. I had plans for that money. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Surely my mom, but it would be, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it. Like every every Sunday in church, we she would always write the check out. In the Catholic church, you know, you get envelopes for every Sunday mm-hmm. so that you know, everybody knows you're up, you're up to date on yeah. what, what your family's given. So she would bring the envelope, write the check, put the check in the envelope, and then put it in the plate. But we never really talked about it. I mean, I, I to this day, I have no idea how much my parents gave. The expectation was always set, but without a ton of clarity about exactly what that should look like. And I mean, I know we, I knew we didn't give everything that we had, uh, but I have no idea if it was like. Five percent or two percent or whatever. Yeah, that's we thought so true. We could, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I never knew what mm-hmm. how much it was percentage wise or what even the dollar amount that she wrote down. I, either I wasn't paying attention or what. So I always knew that it was something that you were supposed to do, mm-hmm. but I never got clarity around really the why, and then especially the how how uh-huh. to plan for that. Right. Um, and some of those questions, at least for me, kind of felt shameful to ask. Mm-hmm. Like, well. What do you mean why? You're supposed to know why. Mm-hmm. You know, shouldn't you know this? And and it really, if in, if your heart was in the right place, I shouldn't even really have to tell you <laughs> how, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a learned skill later on for me. So, obviously, the first week we talk about loving God. And so we looked at the most, I feel like, fundamental, like, passage in our Bible. And so, Chris, do you find it hard to preach on love God and love neighbor? Or does it come easy? <laughs> So I laughed at that question. Like I, I thought, like, is that a sarcastic question? Is it hard to preach on that? Like, why would it be hard to preach on that? Well, I'm also fascinated that you think it's one of the fundamental. I want to hear you say more about that. I'm not telling you, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I yeah. just hadn't really thought of it that way. I think because there's, 
I guess talking with um, more and more people that are that have been in the church and maybe have gone up and down and had to deconstruct or reconstruct, they're like, okay, it really comes down to like how how can I love God and love neighbor? Mm. I think it's um, for me, it's like I said because I preach that week in modern, like it's very simple, but yeah, it's still very very hard to do. Mm. But I think if we're to kind of look through the whole Bible, okay, what is this really saying? It's like. Well, we should love God and we should love others. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like it's the most kind of foundational. Yeah, yeah. I just we, confirmed, by the way, this is the fourth year. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's hard because it's the one that it seems like it should be really clear, but it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Which part of it is hard to do? Oh, I would say both. Loving God's hard? Yeah. What makes it, like, why do you say that? Because I feel like even though it's not about like, um, well, the whole should, 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 I know you talk about like you shouldn't should over yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But there's things where I'm like, oh, some action or some thought. I'm like, oh, that's not being loving towards God. Like I'm mm. sometimes it can be very hard on myself mm. and where I feel like, oh, I'm not really living into how I should put God first in mm. this or that. So that's why, no, you know, yeah. I keep going seasons where like, oh, I feel like I'm really really devoted right, <laughs> right. and then I'm you're like this. and you're like Ooh, this is a hard season for me <laughs> yeah. so that's why i feel like it was um, a hard passage because ever most people know it and so they i think they have a lot of high expectation okay what are you going to say about mm. this so maybe that's why i had difficulty got it what about so clearly you didn't have that issue I guess. uh no no I, so i don't uh i i just i like the ones that are <laughs> i like it when scriptures kind of boiled down to the basics mm-hmm. i'm a one on the enneagram so I, you know i love the Let's just give it to me Rules. straight. Tell me exactly what yeah. I got to do. Yeah, yeah. Cut and dry, clear. Yeah, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Not always I was about e- to ask you. Easy, right. I was about to ask you because I think what I get hung up on on the love God part is the categories of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm not doing one of those well. Mm-hmm. Like if my mind is there, it, but is my heart actually there? You know, I mean, I, I get sort of hung up on yeah. what does that part mean yeah. to love God with your whole soul? Huh. So. Maybe I overthink it, but yeah. No, so. I can agree with that. That kind of makes sense. Where like for me, I'm like, okay, in my head, I know this is how I love God, but my heart feels very far away from God mm-hmm. because of the way I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's very. That's a very reflective way to look at the faith journey. Mm. I don't remember what my question was now. <laughs> was it was it hard? Yeah. Yeah. Was it hard to preach on? Um, and I didn't preach on it, but I had another question. What what are the practical ways that you would say that we live into that? I mean, it's the cut and dry scripture, mm-hmm. but then in terms of actually living into it and helping others to see the practical ways that Jesus is talking about this being a priority, what is what mm-hmm. does that look like? Well, I do appreciate the United Methodist Church. I feel like our vows, oh um, yeah, are yeah. really good. With yeah, it. they are good. the The whole idea of like prayers, like we should be prayerful people, um, our presence, like showing up. Um, to church showing up i would say even like to others or showing up to your small group like being consistent in that service obviously like you should you should go do something it it it, it does something where you're like okay i want to i want to help others and then giving obviously like your gifts like yeah that should be part of it that that commitment and then you go tell others like if you love God and when you love someone, you want to tell as many people about like, I'm in love. I love that person. And so if you've been transformed, like, so I feel like that kind of lays it out pretty, 
yeah. pretty well for us. Yeah, I agree with that. That's and good. I think the uh, like the means of grace. I mean, the general rules. I, I do think that Wesley was one of his gifts to Christianity and still to us is the, the practicality of right. what he described, how he described the Christian life. Looking. Mm-hmm. Did you like? Did you have a hard time preaching on it? I just feel like there's a lot of pressure for this verse. I don't know why. Well, I guess Jesus does say at the very end, above all else. Yeah, everything hangs, hangs on this. Yeah, so the, everything kind of, hangs on these two things. So you kind of feel like, oh, I'm preaching. Does everything hang on this? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was listening to your sermon, um, I, you had given this funny example of what if Jesus had answered the question differently yeah. and given one of the other laws uh-huh. that you find in the Old Testament? <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I and no one laughed. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I laughed. Thank you. Uh, you're not telling enough jokes in there or something. You're I guess not. not. Up for humor. I know. So what, what, what did you say was the, like, what were some of the examples you gave? It was a one like, don't wear mixed <laughs> materials together or don't leave the fat overnight. Like, this, is, this is the one. Yeah, this is the one. This above all so else. I thought about what if he had said like, that, oh, you know what? That would make it way easier. Right? Right. right. You, can, you can do that one thing. One thing. You don't have just, to be all in all the time. Don't you can leave. Just, just, don't, just don't wear mixed fabric clothing. Yeah. Or don't leave the fat out overnight. <laughs> yeah, don't leave the fat out overnight. Don't cut it. Women, don't cut your hair. Right. On these things hang all, all along the, the process. Right? <laughs> So I was just thinking of like, I'm sure they would be like, wait, what? Oh, We've devoted our life to studying and that's what we, you know, <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Okay. I like the way your brain works. I had never thought about it that way. What yeah. if Jesus had answered that differently? Yes. He probably would not have passed the test. <laughs> probably not. They'd be like, do not listen to this yeah, guy. Never mind. <laughs> he is not a threat. And then I feel like we should pull back the curtain. So Reagan and I were then giving you a hard time about week two in the series. Uh, yeah. Where you preached a 28 minute sermon I with did. not a single joke. Oh man, no, no jokes. <laughs> yeah, I don't I Actually, don't joke about mission. That's, not, that's funny. <laughs> that's a flex. Well, I will say that I started thinking about it after y'all were giving me grief about it. And the last two appointments that I've been in, yes, I'm being defensive. <laughs> the last two appointments I've been in have been in missions. And so uh-huh. I realized I'm well, like, oh, I, I, get, I get fired up when I talk about yeah. missions. And I thought, well, why? Well, because I, I feel like that is a core part of who we are as a church. And I, I think I said that at some point in my sermon, but somewhere in the 28 <laughs> minutes, I talked about something that had to do with Jesus and missions and serving Maybe, others, yeah. hopefully. God willing. Yeah. Yesterday was 25. I checked. So I did too. Thank you. You shaved it a little bit. I did. Anyway, I want to go back to to love from that first week. So I really liked what you said, Chris, about how in our minds, why, let's see, you talk about love. We quickly associate feelings of tenderness and affection. And that is part of that love. But this love of God is so much more. It's you said this is no easy love. This is no comfortable or sentimental love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go on and you quote a biblical scholar, Douglas Hare, about how really it's about this unwavering commitment. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that. We tend to think of love like in the – there's multiple words for love in Greek. Eros is the one for romantic love. And that's 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 our kind of default, right, I think. <clears throat> And, but I mean, we've all been married a while now with children like that. Mm -hmm. That is much more about, I mean, certainly that 
tender sentimental feelings are there, but that's that's way deeper than that, right? It's right. way it's much more about connection and commitment, and that that is what our relationship with God is intended to be. <clears throat> and I love that quote from Douglas Hare because it he he's right about that. Like mm-hmm. we, it's easy to to say to read love God and think that that's an easy thing, mm-hmm. right? To think, oh, well, that's, that's no problem. I love my parents. I love my friends. I love my spouse. I love my kids. So it's just like that. Mm-hmm. Well, when Jesus says, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, in the kind of Old Testament Deuteronomy way, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's, a, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, the, and what people sometimes don't want to hear is that includes a financial commitment, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that, that is the tie-in, obviously, to, to the stewardship campaign. So um, I, I just appreciate the fact, the idea that it like being all in is being all in. Mm-hmm. And it looks differently for us at different times in our lives and different seasons of our lives or whatever, but <clears throat> the base, the baseline commitment is, uh, is the starting place. Yeah. Well, your question earlier, Julie, about what does it mean? Like practicality and thinking about this commitment to jump off of that. Like I think about the way we commit to pro- like, I'm going to use our spouses. Like even when we are, tired or stressed or don't feel good you still show up for that person and i think um with like let's say church like obviously don't come if you're sick and you have a fever please don't but um online but online but like (laughs) yeah but thinking about like even when you can feel overwhelmed like you like or there's things going on or whatever like you still want to you still show up because you know that something can happen and if you're committed like you're all in Mm -hmm. It just made me think about that in this like moment. I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like I still have to show up for my kids even when like I don't feel good, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, and that's uh, part and that part of the beauty of what that kind of love is. I mm-hmm. mean, right? The, the day in, day out, no matter what, um, no matter where you are emotionally or physically or spiritually, and no matter where your spouse is or your kids are, I mean, that's that's. That's part of what makes life worth living, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we all agree that this love is like, um, it's not as like sentimental or sexy, but like, yeah, the way I love God is through my commitment in all these different areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. Anything else from week one that you wanted to, I mean, that was me. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I mean, thanks for talking about our trips together. Yeah, you're welcome for that. Appreciated that. Yep. And for not sharing any um, videos yep. or footage. Yep. Um, I have a lot of Julie singing in the car. so. <laughs> oh, fun. well, that could be useful. Yeah, it is very useful. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about week two, which is serving others. Yeah. All right, everybody put 45 minutes aside. Yeah. I got things to say. We're going to shift to our episode two of this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about one of you just summarize the scripture that you all use. And did you pick there? Or was that lectionary? That was lectionary. Oh, man. And the lectionary does not let you off the hook. It doesn't. The lectionary goes all the way through. There's two. There's a wonderful first half of that and, mm-hmm. uh, and a more challenging second half. Okay. So why is the second but, half? Uh, but this, this scripture is very, is very misunderstood. He, this, this scripture is not talking about Christians. <laughs> The oh, scripture is the judgment of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we read it as though he's talking about to the disciples. Yeah. About them. 
-hmm. And he's actually not. He's talking about when it says all the nations, the, right. that word in Greek is like, it's not, there's a perfectly good word in the Hebrew translation of goyim in, into Greek uh, is not the word that we use in this passage. He's clearly talking about the judgment of the Gentiles. But he, he says it is actually possible for non-believers to go to heaven. I mean, let's just, uh, just to put it in a real kind of yeah, flat way. Right. If they've, if they've treated other people the right way. Hmm. Tell, there's a whole branch of Christianity that would, like their heads would explode if, yes. with that idea. Mm -hmm. Not Methodist, by the way. So um, I love that. Like the, the right, the whole question of the righteous Gentile. Can a righteous Gentile be in a right relationship with God? Well, apparently, according to Jesus, the answer is yes. Yeah. Now, I will say, uh, so it's the sheep and the goats passage, if anybody has not listened to that sermon or went there that day or whatever. So uh, the, uh, at the end of, on judgment day, mm -hmm. all the nations, all the, the, um, Gentiles are, mm -hmm. are gathered in front of the, the son on the throne. And he says, okay, you, y'all go my right, the sheep, and then the goats go to my left and you on the right, you're good because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. It's a very, very famous passage. Mm -hmm. And they're surprised. Well, when did we do that? Well, when you did it to one of the least of these who's, you know, my, my, my people, you did it to me. There's also a question, by the way, about whether or not he's talking about how Gentiles treat Christians. I wondered that too. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, you can parse that a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but the bottom line is if you treat people well, you're good. If you don't, you're going to the eternal fire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he gets real fiery. Yeah. So when Laura, our new assistant director of children's uh, ministries came to children's time with a sheep and a goat, yeah. I'm like, Oh dear. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the last how, part? How far are we going in this passage? Yep. Uh, but she did not get. She did not take him all the way to, you know, the bad place. <laughs> the bad place. The bad place. Um, okay. So yeah, that, no, that's really important. I think this scripture is not interpreted correctly a lot. Never. It never is. We we are saved by our faith, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, the whole, that's the whole point of grace. Mm -hmm. Like we're not saved by works. Mm -hmm. Now, what for Wesley, our works proceed from our faith. And if we're not doing good works, something's wrong with our faith. Right. So he comes at it in a, like the end point is the same. But theologically, it's, it's correctly aligned with grace-based theology. Mm. But I love that passage. Uh, I love that passage because it answers the question of what happens to everybody who doesn't believe. And it's... And it's not like just some random guy mm -hmm. giving a theory. <laughs> it's right. Jesus, it's right. Jesus himself right before he dies. It's the last thing he teaches before he, his crucifixion. Mm -hmm. So like one last note, guys. Just yeah, by a the reminder. Way, uh, exactly. In case you've forgotten yeah. or missed everything I've said. Um, Are there other places like that Jesus really is that forthcoming with eternal fire or anything? I was trying to think. I mean, that section is called the Little Apocalypse, and so mm -hmm, there's okay. several parables in there. there are four, it's four in a row of what happens at the, you know, where there's, you know, they, there's the more than times. one reference. To, yeah, exactly. To, mm -hmm. to wailing and gnashing of teeth, like he mentions it a few times. But it's not like we can't think of it. Jesus never read Revelation. That came much later. So we can't think of it as like Lake of Fire stuff. We just have to think of it as as on Judgment Day, what is the judgment? Mm-hmm. And so clearly in his head, or at least according to Matthew, 
um, he had a sense of uh, he will he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, and that I mean we say that every week, don't we? Mm-hmm. I feel like we say that every week. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the Apostles' Creed? Yes. Yeah, I grew up with the Nicene Creed, so sometimes you get those confused. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, that was a lot to. Uh, I feel like I'm going to still teach that scripture wrong. I'm like, okay, something, and there's the llamas, and I don't know what they fit into this. It's fine. Okay, Julie, and. In your week two, you talked about how the scripture, you talk about how this message race is not so much about what we've done, but what we've left undone. Mm-hmm. Talk about that, but not for 28 minutes. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, sometimes this passage uh, in commentaries is referred to as the sins of omission. So uh, the not just the things that we do um, that go against God, but the things that we don't do um, and deliberately don't act on or don't see um, that are against what God would do. And what I love about this passage, even though it's very repetitive right there in the middle, um, because they repeat all of the things back to Jesus um, is that there's this sort of like looking around, like, I don't, I don't see what you're talking about, Jesus, you know, Mm. Lord, where were you? You know, I mean, it's sort of like this where's Waldo thing. Like they just don't get it. Um, And so every time that I read this passage, it's that reminder to me that there are things that I am not seeing that God is calling me to see. And I'm not seeing them not because they're not there, but because I'm not, I do not have my eyes fully open to what's going on around me. Um, whether that has to do with apathy or with um, being in my own world or self-centeredness, right? We can just sometimes put these blinders on that keep us from seeing the rest of the world and the people around us the way that Jesus calls us to. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says that's bad. Okay. Just to be clear. <laughs> Just that's what goats do. Yeah. Um, no, that's that is good. Because yeah, I think we like to to rank all the things that we do or say like, Well, look, I'm doing all this and then it's like, Yeah, but that's important, that's good, but there's also these things that I need you to be aware of and to see. Which I know sometimes we can get very overwhelmed. I mean, that's what I hear a lot talking with with, with people. It's like, I want to help. I want to do things, but I don't even know where to start. Right. You know? Um, which it is. But hopefully here at Christ United, you know, we're, we can get you get plugged in to those different ministries or different um, things that maybe tug on your heart. Mm-hmm. Most likely we're, we're in that area somehow. Um, okay. In your sermon, Chris... You brought in some of the foundational elements of John Wesley. And what kinds of things did John Wesley do surrounding serving? And then what about giving? So I talked about the general rules. Yeah. And yeah. So what are those? Uh, Do no harm. Do all the good you can. And then the the way, I mean, it's attend upon all the ordinances of God. But like modern, you could think of it as uh, like stay in love with God. That's how one of the, somebody, somebody wrote a one of the bishops wrote a book about it, and that's mm-hmm. how he translated mm-hmm. it. I like the old English, attend upon all the ordinances of God. That sounds very magisterial. But <laughs> um, So we, I, 
the funny one, do no harm, is don't drink unless you absolutely have to. Which was, <laughs> I may have said, I had some eye contact with some people in the congregation when you said that. I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. So that just makes me laugh every time I read it. Yeah. Um, but then the do good, there's a real famous quote by Wesley. A lot of people know it. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, mm-hmm. to all the people you can, all the places you can, as long as you ever can. Or something, but paraphrasing. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the thing about the Wesleys is that they were all about, I mean, they were all about service from the very beginning in the small groups. Like, they would visit people in prison. They would visit people who were sick. They would set up schools for um, children who were not being educated. Mm-hmm at all in some cases and certainly properly in many cases uh they cared very much about alcoholics who were drunk at the bar and Mm -hmm. like would go and minister to them at a time when most people would just dismiss them um in in the do no harm section of the general rules they prohibited slavery which was Mm -hmm. not a popular position in 1739 so uh methodism has always been an outward facing tradition Mm -hmm. and i i I, it was one of the things that made whitney and i fell fall in love with the whole movement Mm -hmm. and you know some congregations uh do more or less of that than others but i've never been i've never been part of or affiliated with or familiar with a united methodist congregation that that did not take this very very seriously Mm -hmm. and i think it's an incredible witness i mean i think it's um in a world that's increasingly divided and um angry (laughs) and intolerant, I think that Methodist witness shines through, whether whether you're in a congregation that's more progressive or more conservative, we still, all of us have that uh, in our DNA, like it's just who we are, and I I think it's awesome, <laughs> I just, I love the Methodist movement, and, I, and that, it has so much to do with the way John and Charles um, uh, felt like the religion of the church of England needed to be revitalized. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you would define that or serving others and that outward focus as a piece of evangelism? So in other traditions, evangelism is, uh, is defined, I think very differently. And so that was one of the things for me when I came into the Methodist church was I had to rethink what I thought evangelism and outreach are. Yeah, I think, so definitions are tricky. I think it right. depends on who's defining it. But I, sure. I think, uh, I really think that our emphasis on service is very much focused on meeting human needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's that old St. Francis thing where, you know, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Like we, I, I think they believed that that kind of care, I mean, they certainly cared about people's souls and they mm-hmm. wanted, that. so those, you know, the small groups at the beginning um, they would hold each other accountable to, you know, to daily religious practices and stuff like that. But when they would go to visit in prison, I'm sure they, they carried the gospel, but it wasn't, it wasn't like in the, <laughs> the, the first priority was meeting the need. And to the extent that that drew people to Christ, uh, obviously they were interested in that, mm-hmm. but it's not as though they saw people who, didn't have Jesus. And so they went and figured out what their need was and met it so that they would come to Jesus. Right. They, they identified the need, went and met the need and then grew the movement because people were attracted to 
that kind of selfless approach to religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like when we go on a mission trip, it's actually a mission trip. It's right. a it's a mission trip to meet needs. It's not passing out Bibles. Right. Nothing wrong with passing out Bibles, but that's not mm-hmm. that's not the way we that's not what we focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really stark contrast. It's a really stark contrast, mm-hmm. especially to you know, like small small denominations in the United States that grew up in the kind of post um, uh, revival era, yeah, where mission was was saving souls, getting people to mm-hmm. say the right words about Jesus. Right, that's not the way we see it. Yeah, I feel like um, the metrics of like what is a success, and it can be different to church from church to church. Like some churches, are like. We're only successful if we get this many people to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be like the whole kit and caboodle, whatever. Um, and I think what I love about Methodism, like our long, long history was like, yes, meeting those like needs. Like there wasn't, yes, like you said, that we cared about people's souls and stuff, but it wasn't like, well, let me like trick you. And so then I can get you like that. I really don't care about your needs. What I care about is this thing. And I don't think we've really lost that, which is really great. Like we right. are about going and seeing, okay, how can we feed people? How can mm-hmm. we clothe people? How can we, um, that's that whole, uh, you know, that, that, uh, illustration of like, um, you're down at the river and there are all these things are coming up and instead of, it could be like, what is it? What do they use? Like there's kids drowning. Why are we not at the top figuring out like, what is the actual issue? Like, I feel like Methodists are like, okay. We can say we can do things here, but like let's go up here and try to solve like what is causing that right. problem. Mm. Um, but yeah, so much of Wesley, like the schools and hospitals and being against slavery and prison, like all those things, like he was all about going out mm-hmm. and and serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what did he do in his, you know, give all you can, save all? Like what did he actually? Did were communities changed by that method? Oh, yeah. I mean, so when you look at the history of the Methodist movement, um, <laughs> the other thing he said was, uh, uh, let's see, save all you can. Earn all you can. Earn all you can, save all you can. Give, give all you can. Uh-huh. Or what, what's the order? I think it's earn, save, and give. I don't know. Earn, save, give in that. Mm-hmm. In that. And what he meant by that <laughs> not, was, like, you only need one suit. Don't buy four. Mm-hmm. Give the rest of it away. Like he, he, so he he had a really high bar for this. But that that ethos that was kind of built into Methodist spirituality pulled a whole generation of people out of poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the the transformative nature of the Methodist movement in England is an extraordinary story from the 18th century and <laughs> early 19th century. And um, then the trick became once we became affluent. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you really mean? Give all I can? Like, what do you mean? What, what exactly does that mean, right. John? Uncle John? Um, so, but the, but the, but it's, it's built into who we are from the beginning. Yeah. Listen, Wesley, on the short list of people I want to meet day one in heaven, uh-huh. he's on there, right? Jesus, Paul, JW, probably. Yeah. MLK. We could do a whole podcast on that. Who do you want to meet first? That'd be fun. Would you want to meet John Wesley day one? I believe the answer must be yes. I think it has to be. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably on the ordination questions. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, we're, we're sitting with the Board of Ordained Ministry chair here. <laughs> you should add that as a theological question. Yeah. <laughs> be great. 
Um, okay, so the last week was transforming lives, and Chris, mm-hmm. you started off by saying you want to be better. Yeah. Are you taking suggestions for that? <laughs> <laughs> Make a box. No, when he started talking about running a 5K, I, I was like, man. I was like, that's you. No. I did do couch to 5K once. And, yeah, I was a pretty angry person during that time. <laughs> I'm not a happy runner. I have very flat feet. Yeah. Um, but no, like you had, yes, you're, you're going to run a 5k with Sam, which is great. Um, but well, well, let's start with the premise, you know, so I run all the sermons by Whit, Whitney and she stopped, she never does this. She stopped me after that first sentence and she's like, do you think that's going to resonate with people? Like, do you think most people feel that way? Cause that's the, that's the premise. Like that we all want to be better. And I said, well, I do think so. I mean, I think what that it. I think we, it means different <laughs> things to us. Yeah. Yeah. But I think most of us want to be, you know, better parents, better um, kids of adult yeah. parents. I mean, better at wh- whatever thing, like whatever hobby we have or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I mean, gave, I gave the 5k example just because it was something that's new. I mean, recent for us. But. Mm-hmm. No, I would agree with that. Like, I was like, yeah, I hope, I hope I never, and walking through life saying, you know, I got this. I got this. <laughs> I've arrived. I'm good. There is no growth in any area of my life. Like if if you feel like that, maybe ask some people around you. <laughs> Just take a poll. I don't know. Um, it doesn't have to be an exhaustive list, but I think we should always be wanting to grow and change. Like I don't want to be the same that I like in ten years that I am right now. Mm-hmm. Like what a that's depressing. Yeah. I don't know. So it resonated with me. Yes. Yeah. I think that on my good days when I'm healthy, the question is, where do I want to be at my best or where do I want to get better or grow? Mm -hmm. And on my bad days, it's when is it ever going to be enough? Mm. And so I, I, I constantly have to question sort of where I am mentally, emotionally, spiritually around that you know, what, what am I actually striving for? Because I can strive for success. I can strive to be better at something that is really self-motivated and, and self, um, self-centered and very, um, culturally praised, but is always going to leave me asking, but when is it enough? When, when is it going to be enough money? When is it going to be enough status? When is it going to be enough, um, praise or affirmation? I mean, I think, uh, some of us struggle with the other side of that too. And so when we're asking, you know, what, where do I want to be better or what do I want to be better at for, at least for me, that's, those are the questions I ask when I, when I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think it just comes to like, how do I, how do I see the Holy spirit working in my life? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, I could get better at cooking, cook. Yeah, I can, there's a lot of growth there. A lot of growth that could happen. Um, I'm kidding. I've never had your cooking. I know. Exactly. That's why. Um, but I think about like, okay, I want to know how I've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So how, if I'm looking back, like, okay, have I gotten better in this area? And the fruit of the Spirit is like such a good, like, okay, where list, am right? I? Yeah. Have I been more patient? No, it's a great, I, I love the fruit of the Spirit. Like it, that is yeah. a, that is a it's a perfect list, like a perfect measuring mm-hmm. stick, I think. Mm-hmm. 
and um, I've gotten to the place in my life where I, if I'm impatient with something, you know, like somebody on the road, or I was not even kidding about the umpires. I gripe about the umpires all the time. Am I being like that? Because that's really, if I, I should be, I should give this poor Joe a, you know, a break about balls and strikes that he's calling. But my God, that was like six inches off the plate. I mean, how do you even it was call bad. that? It was, it yeah, was bad. It was bad. I mean, so, even Kyle said that one was bad. Yeah. And he's the most patient person I've ever met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so terrible at patience that, that I decided to marry the most patient person <laughs> I could find because I needed to work on it so much. And I probably needed somebody who could have that much patience with me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Quit nodding, Reagan. <laughs> I mean, I played a lot of Mario Kart with you. I'm just going to say it turns violent. Yeah. It's a little intense. Um, okay. So the fruit of the spirit, which one do we struggle with the most? I mean, mine would be, mine would probably be patience. Mm-hmm. Would you say patience for yourself? Yeah. Julie? Off the top of my head, but I'm going to think about it for another minute because okay. there's at least two or three more of it. What about you, Chris? That's a good question. So at this stage of my life, probably, um, hmm. I mean, it depends on the circumstance and, and the person that I'm with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, with my wife and kids, I'm, I'm pretty good on all of those. Um, with most other humans, it's, it's a scale, <laughs> but patience is probably mm-hmm. uh, like my, I, my knee jerk reaction to like getting caught off in traffic is not Zen. Like, I mean, let's put it that way. So I think I'm pretty peaceful most of the time because we've got a great life. We've got a job I love, a uh, family that I adore. Like my life's really good. So love, um, yeah, I think I'm good there. Joy, I'm usually, I'm actually pretty, pretty joyful. Peace, most days. Patience, depends on the circumstances. Kindness, faithfulness, general self-regard. It's just a great, it's just a great list. Yeah. Now the opposite. The fruit of the flesh or whatever, I think is what he says. That's a that's a pretty lively list. I didn't get into that though. Yeah, I didn't get into that either. You didn't cut it on the floor, you're like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay. So Julie, why don't you can you share about how you wrapped up the stewardship series? Like what did you focus on yesterday? Is that because you didn't listen to it right Maybe. Now? Maybe because it was so long. She was an hour and a half into listening. I'm out of time. Gosh, I fell asleep. Is she still going? I got tired last night. I tried. Mama tried. It was a long day for Mama. (laughs) Oh man, how did I end my sermon? So two two ways. Talked about the Wesleyan Covenant prayer. Back to Wesley again. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're talking about generosity and when we are talking about loving God, loving our neighbor, I mean, all of this for me comes back to. What we say often in New Year's when we're when we are recommitting, um, but I find it so important on a day like like this past Sunday when we're talking about recommitting financially to the church that uh, Wesley saying, "I am no longer my own, but thine. Um, put me with who you will." rank me with whom you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate that part of it. If that was a fruit of the spirit (laughs) of like being better at not ranking me with whom you will put me Mm -hmm. to doing, put me to suffering, let me have all things. Let me have nothing. The Wesleyan covenant prayer is one of the most difficult prayers and difficult things that I could possibly pray honestly, Mm -hmm. honestly. And so, um, so I ended my sermon there, um, 
because it is that outward gesture, once again, when we are committing once again to the church, um, that um, reminds us of why we give. And then I just, I, I got fairly personal talking about um, where we are this year in my giving. Um, so the same week that that the pledge card came in the mail, we had sat um, in front of a doctor and had a beautiful sonogram yeah. for our new kiddo that's coming. And then they walked us down the hall to the finance office mm-hmm. to talk about how we're going to pay for this mm-hmm. new kid. Mm-hmm. And then by that weekend, um, we needed a, a new car. And it wasn't like, oh, you know what? I'd really like to drive a new car. I was like, no, the other one doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it's 15 years old. We run it into the ground. So we had to go buy a new car and sit at the car dealership and talk about a car payment. And so mm-hmm. literally uh, within a matter of two weeks, uh, we're sitting, looking at our budget, watching the zeros in mm-hmm. monthly payments mm-hmm. add up, add up, add up. And I'm no, I know I'm not the only one with a family and I'm not the only one with a car payment. It was sort of funny though. This is our very first car payment. We have always paid our cars off at the front. Um, and so uh, that was, that was difficult for us. <laughs> it was a hard pill to squ- swallow. So then when the pledge card came in next to that, um, it's been several years since we have had to actually really um, look at what we're going to cut back on. Most of the time we are, we are living in a place where uh, we are able to be generous, but it's not, um, it's not because we've had to give something up. And this past year, we actually had to look at what we were going to give up Mm. in order to be generous. Um, And that was a lot harder, (laughs) Mm. but I think it's also a lot more fulfilling. Um, It's a lot more fulfilling when you are giving and when you are giving with a group of people saying, I am committing to this, um, and it's going to take sacrifices from me mm. and from, um, from what makes me comfortable all the time. Um, and so, Chris, I asked this question because I think it's one that I struggled with, but I'd be curious to how you would answer it. So one of the things I asked at the end of my sermon was the correlation between tithing and the church, meaning so Jesus says that a tithe is 10% that we should give 10% of our income back to God. And then we make the connection that to God means the church. Now, I think part of it has to do with the fact that I'm a millennial. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a trend with younger generations that um, say, well, why should that be at the church? And not at another nonprofit down the street that's doing a lot of really good work. And so I I found myself early in ministry wrestling with that question of of why the church. And so what I loved about this particular sermon series was that our answer to that why is that you are not just committing to a church. You're committing to this church. And this is the mission of this church. And this is the why. Um, Anyways, but I'd be curious how you'd answer that. Oh yeah, I'm old school. Yeah, ten yeah. percent to the church. I, I, yeah, that's just the way it is. But you've never and, questioned that. You've uh-uh. never questioned that when they say to God, mm. that means. Well, I mean, the church is the body of Christ in the world, right? And, yeah, and a church that that functions the way churches in, that I believe are intended to function cares not just for the needs of its own members, but for the needs of its community and beyond. Mm. And so. And I've, I've been enough inside baseball for long enough 
to know what it takes to run the church. Yeah. Um, and, and the impact the church has is, is a multiplying effect through the members. Mm-hmm. So it's not just helping us a hope restored, for example, which right. is a wonderful ministry. Um, it's helping hope restored and equipping theologically a bunch of people to do other good work. Yeah. So yeah, I, any, all, all of our charitable giving beyond the church is above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always, I've always looked at it that way. Yeah. That's good. I think that that's a, it's a helpful learning thing that I, I was not specifically taught. I don't know if you were as a kid. Oh, and yeah. so when, mm-hmm. when a peer, someone in my generation has asked me that question, I'm like, Oh, I, I actually don't know that I've ever thought through the answer to that. Mm-hmm. It's just always sort of, this is the way it is. Right. And so, um, uh, I, I talked about it in terms of um, brand loyalty, <laughs> uh, because I think a lot of, especially again in, in, in our generation, I think we always we have a lot of brand loyalty. We want to give to things, um, our money to things, um, whether it is sunglasses, shoes, groceries. Uh, there's a lot of brand loyalty. For instance, I have brand loyalty to Bluebell ice cream. <laughs> fight me on it <laughs> i have that overrated if I am, well Ooh. if i am buying ice cream that may kill blue- you that has killed people okay okay Man, she's really picking a fight today i know heb is pretty good heb is good have you had their i mean <clears throat> it is we, we there's one right around the corner from mm-hmm. us now and uh i was like okay it was like on par going on yeah, I mean, we this summer we ended up buying as much HEB as we did Bluebell. Ooh, interesting. Anyway, so uh, all that is to say, we have a choice all the time in where our money goes when it comes to not just like what we're buying, but who we are buying from, and then where we give our membership to, whether it's mm-hmm. a gym membership or a membership or a subscription. And so, for me, there is no better loyalty commitment than to be financially giving to the church. Um, it's a more practical rather than theology, theological answer, but that was how, that was how for this year, for the checks that are coming out of our house, mm-hmm. we, we got our heart there. Hmm. That's good. Thank you. I think that will probably resonate with a lot of people because we mm-hmm. all have things that come up and you think, okay, I want to give, I know I need to, and I want to, I desire to, and so figuring out how can I still be faithful and still commit. Um, you just got to eat less bluebell. <laughs> that's, that's easy. So. <laughs> um, but okay. So let's talk about to kind of end. So let's say someone has never given, what would you tell them? Like where to start? What's your encouragement? Because that 10% can be really, that can oh, be yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, number. you talked about this in week two about like, Rent in Plano is, I mean, no one can live here. Right. And so, like, how do we, inflation, all the things, people are just. We're living at our means and above our means. Yeah. For sure. So. Yeah. What do we, what do we tell our congregation? I mean, so I do think the first thing you got to keep in mind Mm -hmm. is that it's supposed to be first fruit. Right. Right. I mean, it has to be a priority. This is not like, here's all the stuff in my budget and here's what's left over Mm -hmm. for charitable giving, Mm -hmm. specifically giving to the church. That that, our whole paradigm has to change on that. That's the first thing. Now, if it's a pastoral conversation, I I don't begin with that. But I do think, like, in terms of framework, it's got to start there. And then if someone's never, ever had had this as part of their spiritual life, just start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, the only number that's not okay 
is zero. And I think some people, it's this trick that we play with ourselves, right? Well, I can't, I can't meet the goal, so therefore I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. That ain't great either, Mm -hmm. right? So you start somewhere and then you set, like you make it an intentional part of your family's or your personal, if you're a single person, um, budget, but also process. Like I'm going to start with 20 bucks a week or whatever. Or twenty bucks a month, or I mean, whatever the number whatever. is. Yeah. Um, and then I'm gonna intentionally grow that over over time because <laughs> it's gonna sound like a preacher, but I mean, guilty. Like it's not your money anyway. Right. Right. It's God's, and so you've been equipped with uh, gifts and talents and opportunities, and um, part of the spiritual life is recognizing that number one. And then giving it, giving it back, number two. And it has been that way all the time, forever, as long as there have been people of faith. Abraham probably griped about having to slaughter that particular bull. It's my favorite bull, but this, this is what I got to do. This is, the, this, is, this is my acknowledgement of my dependence upon God. And I, you know, this is... Uh, I made the I, I quoted that guy from NCLI yesterday. He said the last thing to be converted is usually mm-hmm. people's wallets. That's I mean that's true because we have this uh, you know we're not wired that culturally speaking we're not wired right. to um to think that we quote unquote owe anybody anything right and I, and I, I wouldn't use that that language but this is you know these are the defenses we put up mm-hmm. against participating in this particular spiritual discipline prayer worship being a member of a church serving others giving these are all foundations of the faith and so uh, you know starting somewhere is really really important and it happens every year you get i mean i've had the conversation every year for 20 years now Mm -hmm. so i want to talk about well my charitable giving is 10 Mm percent okay (laughs) it's fine i mean there's no i don't want to argue about it but I, I, I hear that. Well, I can't, I'm going to tithe after my expenses. Right. Okay. I understand that. Let's, I mean, do you really want to talk about that? Because mm-hmm. that's our, that can be a challenging conversation. What do you, what do you consider your expenses to be? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to tithe after tax instead of pre-tax because I can't ah. give, I can't give what I don't have. Okay. My, that, my response is always, okay, that's a good place to start. The tricky one when Kyle and I got, and I got married was, um, he is, uh, contract work. Right. And so setting it ahead of time, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. when it was not salary based was, um, was really tricky. Like mm-hmm. we just didn't quite know what to do with that money, right, right. you know? And so we, I don't know, we played with the numbers a little bit mm-hmm. and sometimes it was like, well, if it's a, this gig, then let's just give it all. And so then it was like we were playing the lottery with our offering. <laughs> it's like, man, if, if that guy calls again, woo, the church is going to get a great check. Yeah. I had a church member in my last church. He's like, so my my pay is lumpy. That's how he referred uh, to it. Yeah. But they were super generous. So right. that's why we just get this huge check. Yeah. Right. But they they gave. For yeah. Sure. But it's just funny. I was like, it's kind of lumpy. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I appreciate that we we do spend this intentional time talking about stewardship, and I don't feel like we are like okay, it's all about like give, give, give. Like it's it is about the whole discipleship like process. So I appreciate the way that we have such intentionality with it. So, 
Well, and I appreciated yesterday, Chris, you said it throughout the whole service that the budget in the bottom line is a byproduct it is entirely. of the conversation. It entirely. is not the conversation. Exactly. Um, Otherwise, we'd be presenting spreadsheets and mm-hmm. business plans and like that's so <laughs> this is where so often over the years the theological conversation butts up against business minded church members who want to talk about, well, why is the budget increasing 5%? Well, right. Not, that's immaterial. Mm. <laughs> what, what, what we think we need to spend on the church, like, it, it costs more than $4 million a year to run this building, to mm-hmm. run this operation. It's a big operation. Ultimately, though, we, we fund it not because of uh, the worthiness of what we think the budget should be. We fund it based on our obligation as Christians to be generous. Mm-hmm. And and I had, it's, <laughs> I guess at this stage of the game, I've, um, I've had the conversation enough that people don't necessarily argue with me about that. But, it, but initially it was like, what do you mean it's not about the budget? Of course it's about the budget. Like, mm. and, and I would, especially like in more rural churches that are, tend to be more lay led. Yeah. Um, I'd be like, no, it's really not. Mm. Because by the way, if, <laughs> if everyone uh, approached this subject with, uh, in the spirit with which it's intended to be approached, the budget would never be a problem. Right. Ever. Ever. Like, we, could, our budget could be $12 million and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. The, our obligation as the church, leadership and staff, lay leadership and staff, is to be good stewards of the money, which I, we absolutely are. We run this place sometimes, it feels like, on bubblegum and shoestrings. <laughs> Brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really glad that we're so frugal. But it, it shouldn't take that. It should not take that because we have, you know, we're a 5,000-member church. How many families are actually active? You know, it depends on how you define active and blah, 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 blah. But if you just run the numbers yeah, <laughs> based on where we live and average incomes and all that, the budget right. would never be a problem. Yeah. So I don't even like to talk about it in terms of budget. I'm happy to answer questions about the budget, but that, that's not the point. Right. Yeah. Yep. I agree with all of that. <laughs> well, I think it goes back to the heart. It's again, it's that it goes back to the heart. It is, the, right. it is the last thing for us. To, that is a sense of control. If right. I know more about the budget, right. and I feel like you've answered my questions correctly, then right. then I maybe owe you, or I, I you. I'm willing. You know, to. Yes, I'm more willing, and so, um, yeah. And I, and where we end up talking past one another is where I'm happy to answer whatever questions people have. Be. Uh, excluding like salaries of staff that's you know as a general number fine as specifics that's not appropriate but that shouldn't change (laughs) like if you're a member of the church and you love the church and you believe what the church is doing then the the details on the numbers shouldn't i mean we get audited every year externally we report our numbers to the conference like there's lots of people who are monitoring things right right so um it's. I. I feel like a lot of times that should. Those, those are defense mechanisms mm-hmm. for uh, for folks who are struggling with doing this particular thing. Yeah. And um, for years, I've I've always I made a commitment a long time ago that I was just going to be direct when it came to to stewardship. And I've every year, every year, and this year was no exception. I have people come through the line, or email me afterwards and say, "Thank you for talking about it that way." You're not making anybody feel guilty. You're just mm-hmm. talking about it. That's the goal. 
because mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be about guilt. It should be about like theology and discipleship and and uh, so. I, and I do. I really do like talking about it in the context of the, of the mission specifically because we allude to the mission all the time, and and the mission is uh, you know, undergirds every every sermon we preach in some way touches one of the areas of our of our mission statement, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, but to just spend three weeks and really talk about the whole thing together, like as a systematic uh, <laughs> way of approaching life and ministry, uh, I think is helpful. Yeah. Now, having said all that, it's about to get awesome because All Saints, oh. then two weeks on Thanksgiving, and then Advent, and then Christmas. Like this wow. time of year is so amazing. The most so, wonderful. Oh time. my gosh, it's, it's wait. Are you allowed to sing that until Thanksgiving? Andy sang it yesterday when we lit our fire for the first time. Oh, she started singing yeah. it. You lit a fire? Well, it's cold. It was cold. I had the windows open. Not even kidding. Wow. I loved it. I really maybe might be screwed wow. now that I'm saying wow. it. Out loud. You, had, you had a little You're bowl really of cold. And... Yeah, just really cold person, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's gonna be great. So the All Saints is one of my favorite. I do love favorite Sundays of the year, all... and I always feel weird saying that. But no, it, it's important. It's so important to to the cloud of witnesses and to the community of faith and. Uh, the people that have built this place, literally built this place. And so it's just, um, it's a really good Sunday. And I think it's really perfectly timed in the church year because like calling to mind all that has come before and reminding mm-hmm. ourselves of the promise of our faith before we get into the holiday season that can be emotional for people, especially mm-hmm. if you've lost someone right. recently. All right. So we will be back in three weeks. We'll do a episode on All Saints and two weeks of gratitude. So have a a wonderful first few weeks of November. It's cold out there. It feels like fall and the holidays. And we'll uh, be back soon with another episode of Off Script. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Off Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.